Good morning. It's good to see you. Hopefully last week you were able to go Sunday and catch a nap right after church. Uh, but it's good to see you here this morning. Just want to give you a couple quick announcements. Um, so coming up this coming weekend, we've got D now. And so there's still a few things that we need. Um, and so you can see Heather. Is Heather in here? She, she may not have made her way in. If you're interested in continuing to give towards D-Now, donate stuff, um, you can see Heather right after church. She'll be more than happy to get you plugged in there in ways that you can give, donate, and help support D-Now coming up this weekend. So we're excited. Liz will continue praying for the students this weekend. And then not just this week, but also be in prayer that weekend of D-Now so that as the students are gathering and we're having worship. There's Heather. And so if, if you are interested in donating and giving to D-Now, see Heather right after church. She's got a few more things on the list, um, but also be in prayer for our students this weekend. Then as well, we've already kind of started talking about, we've got Easter coming up. And so we have those cards. Hopefully you're prayerfully considering who you can give those cards to. Um, and so you've heard Clint talk a lot about it. Each one of us has this small sphere of influence. And so we're asking you, instead of doing a, a broad brush campaign where we just go drop stuff off to random places, we want to be intentional with the people that God has placed in our lives. And so it may be a neighbor, it may be a family member, maybe a coworker. Um, consider who you can invite Easter Sunday. And as well, we have those yard signs. There's still plenty left in the back. So if you're interested in taking a yard sign for Easter and putting it in your yard, please take one on the way out. And then one last thing we want to do before we dive into worship, um, we wanted to recognize Clint and Michelle. And so as you know, Clint stepped in as the interim pastor, um, and so he did a fantastic job. And I, want, I just want to tell you, church, just to be honest with you, it's hard to find a good interim pastor. It is. You, you can find someone who's willing to come in and preach on Sundays and then go back to their house. Those guys are easy to find. But finding someone who, A, loves the church, cares about the church, and wants to see God at work in the church, that's hard to find. And Clint did that this, this past year. He did a phenomenal job at it. And so, yeah. So I'm going to ask Clint and Michelle if they'll come up. And so there were... So some of the men in the church wanted to give them a gift and a token of the church's appreciation. So we got this card for Michelle and these flowers for Clint. Thank you. So, yeah, do you want the flowers? I like the flowers. <laughs> and so awesome. But no, just uh, on behalf of the church, thank you all so much for the time and the sacrifice that you all made this past year. It wasn't just on Clint, it was on Michelle too. Um, and so, but thank you all so much. And so can we just share our appreciation with Clint and Michelle this morning? Love you. Love you. <laughs> they kind of match your shirt. Awesome. Well, I'm going to open this up in a word of prayer and we'll get started in worship. Let's pray together. Father God, we do come to you and we give you this time. God, we want to honor you. We want to exalt you for the King of kings and Lord of lords that you are. God, you deserve every bit of our praise and you're worthy of every bit of honor we can give you. And so God, would you be praised and would you be honored today? Would you move in our hearts and in our lives in mighty and profound ways. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.
Jesus, you deserve every word, every breath, every move we make is all for you, should be all for you. Let us not forget that this morning. In our conversations, in our going in and our coming out, let us not forget to give the praise back to you. Lord, before our feet even touch the ground, give you the honor, give you the praise. You deserve it all, Lord. Man, what a mighty God we serve. To stand here and sing, it is your breath in our lungs. What a privilege it is to serve you. God, we thank you so much. as one body that we can lift up your name this morning, Father. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we give you all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, amen and amen. Thank you, Quez and the band for leading us in worship this morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I meant to make mention of this earlier. Just want to commend you, church, and give you all a high five at the same time. Talking to Mike this week, um, or a little bit earlier today, actually, um, we are currently sitting around 3,000 pre-filled Easter eggs, which was our goal. And so our goal now is to crush that previous goal. And uh, Mike's in charge of counting every single one that comes in. Um, and so just want to commend you and give you all a high five at the same time as we prepare for that opportunity to serve our community um, there on April 8th at the Y. And so we're going to have some information coming out this week about registration for kiddos, but also um, areas to serve and how you can sign up to serve at that event. And so be on the lookout for that this week. And so John chapter 12, and so what we're going to be doing over the course of the next few weeks is walking through the Holy Week as we prepare for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, um, what that journey to the empty tomb looked like for Jesus. And so today is Palm Sunday or the triumphant entry. And as I was thinking about this, just a quick question I want to ask you, have you ever been part of, or maybe you walked into a conversation at the wrong time, or someone walked into your conversation at the wrong time, and based on what they heard when they walked into it, they got a completely different idea about what the conversation was about. Just this past week, I, uh, 
uh, Whitney took the girls to daycare and I went to go get her some breakfast and of course me some breakfast and I uh, was going to take it to her work so she could have it. So I went through the drive through at Panera Bread and I was on the phone with Whitney and uh, come up to the, the window and I go to, I pay well, she goes to the back, and as I'm on the phone with Whitney, she goes, okay, I'm at daycare. I'm going to drop the girls off. And she says, okay, love you, bye, and hangs up. Well, as soon as she says that, the lady opens the window with the food, and so I turn, grab the food, and without thinking, I'm looking at the lady, and I go, all right, love you. And I take the food, and it slowly, the, the realization of what I just said settled in. And she goes, huh? I said, that was for my wife, who's not on the phone anymore. Um, she goes, let's hope so. But we've all been, we may not have been there before, um, but we've all been a part of or walked into a conversation where we heard something and that was completely not the conversation, but we thought that was the conversation. And so when we come to Palm Sunday, we're zooming in on a part of a bigger conversation, a bigger narrative that's taking place. When we look at Israel during the time of Jesus, they've gone through a lot leading up to this point. They're under Roman rule. Prior to that, they were under Greek rule, and they've kind of gone through this series of, of, of oversight and oppression by various different groups and nationalities throughout their history. And so we come to Jesus. They're under Roman rule, and there are those that are within Israel that have kind of given up, so to speak, and said, okay, we're under Roman rule, we'll just, we're just going to roll with it. And then there were those that were trying to fight the Roman rule. And then in, in, I guess in a, in a sense, it seems as though Israel is still in exile. And really what they're doing is they're looking for a Messiah that is to come. And so they're looking back at the Old Testament and they're seeing all of this discussion of a Messiah who was to come for Israel. And they're seeing all of these texts about the Messiah and they're seeing the Roman rule that's over top of them. And they're saying, okay, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be our king and he's going to release us from Roman rule. So the king is to come and he's going to free us politically and he's going to free us culturally. He's going to free us nationally. The king is going to come. So we come to Palm Sunday and the conversation that's taking place is this earthly, political, cultural, national king. But God's conversation that's taking place is much bigger than that. That the scope of the king that is coming into Jerusalem was far greater than a mere political king. The king that was coming into Jerusalem was far greater than a cultural king. And he was far greater than a national king, but they missed it. So John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, let's read through it. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when, they called, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb raised, and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father God, we do come to you and give you this time. 
God, would you speak to us? God, let your word be profound in our hearts and our lives today. Would Christ be exalted and the saints be edified? And God, would you move in our midst? We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. And so we see this event take place in, in all four of the Gospels. Um, in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're, they're fairly similar. John's is a little different from the synoptics. And we'll kind of talk through that a little bit. But there's three things I want us to see this morning. First is the presence of the king. Going back to verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so if we go back to the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus has dined at Lazarus' house. This is that classic story where Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And there's some concern by one of his disciples as to the price value of the ointment that Mary used to anoint Jesus' feet. But just to think about that for a second, Jesus went and dined at the house of a formerly dead man. Why? Because in chapter 11, Jesus goes to the tomb and Jesus calls out Lazarus. And Lazarus does, Lazarus does not come kicking and screaming out, but he comes out. Why? Because when Jesus calls, dead things become alive. When Jesus moves, dead things come back to life. And so here Jesus is at the beginning of chapter 12, dining at Lazarus' house. And a great crowd begins to form. Why? Because I think that would meet, that would make the local news, right? Like I just had lunch at my buddy Fred's house, but Fred died four days ago and came back to life and I just had lunch with him. Don't you think that would make the Gainesville Times? Maybe access, maybe. But there's a crowd that's forming. They've seen Jesus bring Lazarus back to life, to raise him from the dead. And so now they're coming to Jerusalem. Why? Because they're heading into Passover. And even by conservative estimates, Passover during the time of Jesus would bring some near 100,000 people from all over to the city of Jerusalem. So everybody's going to Passover in Jerusalem. So the crowd is forming. And so they see Jesus coming in verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so as Jesus is approaching the city, the crowd sees him. And they begin to lay out palm branches. Why? Because during the time you would lay out palm branches in front of a military leader who had just come back from being victorious in a battle or being victorious in a war. And so they are paving the way for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem. So they're laying out their palm branches. And what's interesting is what they cry out. Hosanna literally means save now or salvation now. But what is the salvation they're crying out for? They're crying out for salvation politically or salvation culturally or salvation nationally. Spiritual salvation is not even on their radar. That they think their biggest need is to be freed from Roman rule. They think their biggest need is for their culture to be restored or for their nation to be restored. They do not realize what their biggest need is. They're crying out for salvation, but they don't even understand what kind of salvation Jesus is actually about to purchase for them. 
They're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. What are they quoting? They're quoting from the book of Psalms, a messianic psalm that talks about the coming king of Israel. So the crowds are forming in the presence of the king, but then we move from the presence of the king to the promise of the king. It says, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. John's writing much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us the backstory to this. That Jesus tells his disciples that they are to go a little ways and you'll find a donkey tied to a tree and you're going to take that, you're going to ask the owner, not even ask the owner, you're just going to say the Lord needs it. Which I've always loved that. Jesus is just commandeering some dude's donkey. The Lord needs it. And the guy, for some reason, the guy just goes, okay. Take the donkey. And so they bring the donkey back to Jesus, and then Jesus goes riding in. But why is this significant? Because Jesus, or John then quotes Zechariah 9 9 Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. And all the way back in the book of Zechariah, the prophecy is given that the coming king would not come riding in on a chariot. The coming king would not come riding in on a horse to free his people. But what does the coming king come riding in on? A donkey. For some reason, every time I see this, I can only think of the donkey from Trek. It's the only mental picture I have. But just picture that. Here comes the king. What's he, what's he riding on? Is, is, that a, is that a donkey? It would be like if the president of the United States would come in a motor, co- motor coach. And what is the president in? He's in Mike's 89 F-150. Not going to see that. But he comes riding in on a donkey. It's not a royal or majestic beast. If you've ever looked at a donkey, you don't go, that's, that's some fine craftsmanship. It's a beautiful creature. You don't do that. Why? Because a donkey is a symbol of Humility. It's a symbol of hard work. It's a, it's a beast of burden. And they, that's what Jesus comes riding in on. Why? Because as Jesus is riding in, there's still work that's going to left to be done in this next week. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, things are really just getting started. The victory hasn't been won yet. The battle's not finished. Over church. When we turn to the book of Revelation, what does Jesus come riding in on? A white horse. Because in this scene, the battle's not over, the work is still being done. But we turn to the end of the book, and when Jesus comes again, he's not riding in on a majestic angelic donkey. The king of kings has won. But when we think about Palm Sunday, all of this had been promised from the Old Testament. That the king of Israel would come riding in on a donkey. This beast, it's nothing to look at. It's not all inspiring. It's a donkey. And yet Jesus is coming in on it. Why? Because he's coming in as a humble servant. He's preparing in a few days to lay down his life. That's the type of humility that Jesus comes riding in on. 
And all of this has been promised, that the, that the coming king, you're going to recognize him, Israel. You're going to recognize him, O daughter of Zion. How are you going to recognize him? He comes in on a donkey. So it has been promised. But again, they're looking for something else. So sure, the king is coming in. The king is making his way into Jerusalem, but it's not the king they were expecting. It's not the king that they were anticipating. And so which brings us to our third point, we see the presence of the king, the promise of the king, and then lastly, the problem of the king. It says his disciples did not understand these things at first. How bad was it that even his disciples didn't get it? Even his disciples were confused. This is the inner circle. This, these are the ones that Jesus would teach in public and they would come and pull Jesus aside afterwards and be like, what do you mean by this? And yet even they didn't get it. Jesus, why is all this taking place? And John adds this clarifying Remark, but when Jesus was glorified, when looking ahead to post-resurrection, road to Emmaus, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The light bulb didn't go off in the moment because even the disciples, there was a part of them that was expecting a political king. There was a part of them that was expecting a cultural king. There was a part of them that was expecting a national king. And even in this moment, the disciples don't get it. So hear me, church. It is possible to spend our entire lives in church spend our entire lives in Sunday school and life group and still miss who Jesus actually is. To still have a misconception about who Jesus is. I'm not saying you get perfect knowledge of who Jesus is. I'm not saying you ever get to the point where you fully understand who Jesus is, how Jesus is fully divine and fully man, how your mind wraps all the way around. I'm not saying that, but it's possible to miss who Jesus actually was and to think Jesus is something that he's not. Even his disciples were confused. Even his disciples who had spent these past three years of, three and a half years of ministry with Jesus, even they were confused at this point. And they're sitting there going, what is, what is all this? But it's after the resurrection that the light finally clicks for them. And I'm not trying to get ahead of myself for a few weeks coming to Easter but it's the resurrection that makes the light click for us as well. So the disciples are confused, but then there's another group that's mentioned. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So there's the disciples who are confused and then there's this group, the crowd that had been there when Lazarus was called out of the tomb. They had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They had witnessed this and they are bearing witness of it. But then verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So there's two crowds here. There's the crowd that had seen Jesus work, and then there's the crowd that had heard Jesus work. Just to be clear, church, there's a major difference in seeing the work of Christ and hearing about the work of Christ. 
the second crowd that comes, they're hearing of this king that can raise people from the dead, who can work miracles, who is powerful, and they're sitting there going, I want in on that, not because I want the king, but because I want what the king can offer me. There's a major difference there. And so they're sitting there going, Jesus raised people from the dead. I want to go see this Jesus. Heard Jesus fed thousands of people. I want to go see this Jesus. No interest in really seeing and getting Jesus, but getting what Jesus can offer them. That's not worship. So the crowds are here and they're coming out because they had heard what he had done. But then verse 19, we see the Pharisees. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Pharisees represent this religious elite class in the time of Jesus. And so they're looking at one another. Jesus is coming in and they're looking at one another going, we're not getting anywhere. We're not doing anything, and yet the world is following after Jesus. So why are the Pharisees concerned? Because the arrival of the king disrupts their place on the throne of their own lives. And so they're concerned of this coming king Why? Because the coming king means they don't get to sit on the throne of their lives or their people's lives any longer because the king has come. And just to be clear, church, the king coming means the same thing for you and I today. The coming king means I don't get to sit on the throne of my life. He gets the throne. And when we expand this out to a broader community, the coming king means I don't sit on the throne of this church. He does. But the coming king disrupts our thoughts of where we sit and our power and our influence. Why? Because he's the king. We are not. So the coming king disrupts that. And so all throughout here, Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry, the king is coming. And he's coming not in the way people would think and not for the purpose they would think. See, just as I mentioned, they are expecting this king. And they've all got desires of the king that the king would free them from political oppression from Rome, that the king would restore their proud culture of Israel, that the king would renew this nation of Israel. And yet Jesus doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? He comes in and he's crucified. He comes in and he's beaten mercilessly. And he's placed on a cross between two criminals. Is that kingly in the eyes of the world? By no means. But you see, this king was doing something greater. This king didn't come to free them from political oppression, but from spiritual oppression. This king didn't come to restore them and renew them culturally and nationally. This this kingdom had, this king had come to establish a kingdom that far exceeded the boundaries of any single nation. He wasn't the king 
they were expecting. But in God's perfect timing, he is the king that we all need. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. Palm Sunday reminds us that King Jesus is not a king to meet our selfish desires, but our supreme distress. Palm Sunday reminds us that King Jesus is not a king to meet our selfish desires, but our supreme distress. What do I mean by that? That we all have desires of the king, what the king would look like, what the king would do. But Jesus did not come to meet those things. But Jesus, knowing our supreme distress, knowing the chief of our problems, was not political, was not cultural, was not national. It was none of those things. But that you and I stand across the chasm of a holy God. That you and I are dead and broken in our sin. And so what does the king do? He bridges the chasm. He lays down his life for you and I. That our biggest problem is not political, is not cultural, is not national. Those are not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that our, by our sin, we are separated from a holy God. That is our biggest problem. And so Jesus comes to bridge that gap. And as we're going to see over the course of the next few weeks, he's successful in bridging the gap. As the band comes back to the stage. So why is this important? This is important because if we have the wrong view of Jesus, it's going to impact our mission and our methodology. Say, so what do you mean by that? Because if we have the wrong view of Jesus and the wrong view of ourselves, now I'm not trying to trying to get in I'm not trying to get in trouble here by saying this. But if we simply view Jesus as a political figure, then we will think man's biggest problem is political. And so our mission and methodology is not a proclamation of the gospel for, to bring people from death to life, but a proclamation of you need to vote for this policy. We have the wrong view of Jesus. If we simply view man's issue and what Jesus came to do as cultural, then we'll just simply try to restore the culture. Or same thing with, in terms of building a nation. And we'll tweak our message to that and never actually proclaim the gospel. See, the gospel is none of those things. The gospel is the good news that Christ took our place. So the wrong view of ourselves and the wrong view of Jesus as king impacts our mission and our method. But also, church, it impacts our worship. It impacts our worship. That when we gather together, we gather together week after week, we're worshiping the king. But if we worship the king that is made in our own image, shaped after our own desires, we're not worshiping King Jesus. Really what we're doing is we're worshiping ourselves. So this is why we have to understand who King Jesus actually is. So when we gather together Sunday after Sunday, we may not physically have them. We, I, I got some today. Got some nice palms. I got these 
from our house in Florida before I drove up here this week. Couldn't find any up here. Uh, but so what, what are we doing week after week? When we gather together for corporate worship, we're going make, make way for, for the king. Make way for the king. The king is coming. We, we lift him up Sunday after Sunday. But the problem is if our view of Jesus is wrong, if our understanding of the king is wrong, then we'll come here and we'll lay down our palms and we'll go, okay, the king is coming and the king is If I believe hard enough, the king is going to give me all the money that I need, all the money that I want. And all of a sudden the king comes by and bank account still looks the same. Jesus, I thought you were going to do this. That if I worship the king and maybe, maybe he... Makes, if I worship him, he's going to make me powerful and influential. The king comes by. I'm not any more powerful or influential. No matter how many times I name it and claim it, I'm not. But what happens, church? If we gather together and we go, okay, I'm going to lay my branch down. Why? Because the king is coming. And the king is coming because I recognize my biggest issue in life is that apart from Christ, I am separated from a holy God. And so I'm worshiping the king that is coming to bring me back to a holy God. And what happens? The king passes by. Oh, he did that. I was separated, but now I'm restored. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. The king did that. And so now what what do we do? We gather together Sunday after Sunday, and we go, make way for the king of kings and lord of lords. Why? Because he did that in my life. He brought me from being lost and an enemy of his to being adopted and a son. That's the king we worship. That's the king we adore. Let's not miss it, church. Let's not miss who the king is. So I want to ask us the question before we close and respond. What is it? that makes us lay our palms down? Is it because we have a picture of Jesus that isn't really Jesus that we would like for it to be Jesus? Or is it because we see the King of kings and Lord of lords who came and laid down his life for you and I? Let's worship that king today. Let's make much of that king. That we would go, okay, the king's coming. Put the palms down and worship him for who he is. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, God. Let us lay our palms down today and make way for the King of kings and Lord of lords and worship you in spirit and in truth. That when I was far, you brought me near. When I was lost, you found me. Let us cry out and lay down our palms and make way for you. We love you, Lord. We praise you pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we respond today. If you need to pray, Clint's going to be over here to this side. I'll be to this side. Let's worship and respond today.
Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here today and worshiping together. Um, and so again, be in prayer for this weekend for our students as they go through D now. Um, and so again, Heather, wave your hand. There's still some needs. I can go ahead and tell you what those needs are. All right, we still need some folks for trash pickup at host homes, um, some desserts. The, the desserts go straight to the D-Now speaker, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Um, speaking of which, it's, it's a rough D-Now speaker this year. Um, some breakfast items and three cases of waters and sandwich condiments. Um, and so if you're interested in getting some of those, please see Heather after church and uh, she'll be more than happy to get you directed where you need to go. And also any other areas that you want to plug in and volunteer this weekend, um, the more the merrier. And so, but of course, in all things, be in prayer for our students as we're excited to see how God works in their lives this weekend. And so let's go out. And celebrate the King who has come this week. Let's pray. Father God, help us this week, God, to be witnesses of the King that has come. Let us lay down our branches and worship you. God, whether we are gathered corporately or we are in our homes, let us live lives that worship the King who has come. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.